Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Hi there, and thanks for joining us for this special holiday episode of the Civil Squared Podcast. It is 2021, and this year, unlike last year, many of us are in a position where we're able to be together with family and friends for the holidays in person. And so I know I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are too. But of course, like all things, when we get together with family and friends, particularly around the holidays, there are sometimes reasons to be anxious or concerned because when you could spend a lot of time with parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, and sometimes that can be, you know, a lot. Uh, But also, you know, we sit down to meals together and particularly when we feel strongly about our opinions and we disagree with one another, that has the potential to cause conflict or disagreement and anxiety. And as an organization that wants to encourage people to have productive conversations that lead to change in their communities, we at Civil Squared want to make sure that you don't look at those meals as something to avoid. If you Google right now, I think, you know, holiday meals or conversation at holiday meals, you're going to find a lot of different articles about how to avoid conflict, how to avoid fights. We hope that as the holidays approach, you might think of these holiday meals as an opportunity to strengthen your bonds and to connect over the shared values you and your family and friends have, regardless of what other opinions you have. So we thought we would go back over the people we've talked to this year about how to have better conversations on difficult topics. And for people who see the world differently, who disagree, How do we ensure that we have more productive discussion? We just happen to have a whole bunch of great people with ideas about that, and we wanted to share some of the best of them with you as you approach your holiday meals. First up is our very good friend, Liz Joyner. Liz is the founder of The Village Square in Tallahassee, Florida. She's worked for the last 15 years to bridge divides in her community. And a month or so ago, she joined us to share her thoughts about why building better relationships with people that don't think like us is a really, really good thing. It's good for us individually, it's good for our community, and it's good for the country. Here's Liz. I think that we're kind of interacting with this civilization-wide problem in, a, in, a, in the wrong way. We're, we're missing something that's really important. So much of what's happened with our digital existence is that, you know, civil society, the the little platoons, the, 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 you know, the, the civic organizations that were across the aisle, you know, the uh, classically Robert Putnam's bowling alone, right? The bowling leagues. It had nothing to do with ideology. Um, those have disappeared in our civic life, and they were the underpinning for what you can sit on top of that, which is to decide what the policy is. And if that is gone, As we're finding out in a really uncomfortable way, the policy decisions don't sit very well. (laughs) Um, They don't get made very well because we have a more fundamental problem. Our biggest problem isn't that we're not doing policy the right way. The biggest problem is that our relationship with each other is just broken. And it's it's, it's a relationship that is deeply foundational to... American democracy and to freedom. And I don't think that people really connect that very often. Um, it's, you know, I mean, we kicked our king to the curb. Well, now we've got a job to do. And like the framers 
the framers created a system where we would have to butt up against each other all the time, where we'd have to um, you know, interact with each other in a way that did naturally help us see blind spots that humans have, all humans have them. Um, and we've, we've both forgotten sort of their lesson and the idea, and then frankly also what our job is. Our yeah. job is to do that. If we wanna stay free, we gotta hang out with each other, there is no choice. And this is, this is something we've talked about, but also that I've heard from a lot of people in kind of bridging organizations calls for unity, calls for we need to be, we need to have a lot of common ground, we need to be on the same page. That's not what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's not, let's just figure out a way that we can all agree on such and such point. It's actually very different than that. It's, we need that disagreement. We need to have that back and forth because if we don't have it, if we're all on the same page, really bad things can happen. Really right? bad things, yeah, do happen, no matter which page you're on, right? And you and you kind of see that sort of on both extremes. And I mean, some of that too is sort of the, the nature of what like-minded groups are. They grow more extreme in the direction of the majority view um, to the point of denying fractal reality. And if you don't see that on your side of the aisle now, I'm, I'm pretty sure you see it on the other side of the aisle, right? Is that we, we can see it more easily, right, in others. Um, is that, so, so if you've got a like-minded group, that means there are things you're missing. Because we humans, you know, reason, uh, Dr. Jonathan Haidt, who we um, are big fans of and yep. who has, um, who um, we've been happy, uh, lucky enough to work with for a number of years, he likens human reasoning to like, one human is like one neuron. And reasoning is a team sport. And we have to connect all the neurons together to be able to reason well. And, and by definition, those neurons have to come at it from different perspectives. So, you know, if you're in, you know, if you're in a conservative group trying to affect um, um, policy change at a local or state level, well, you need to be talking to people who disagree with your policy, disagree with you generally, um, to be able to understand, okay, how do we make our coalition bigger? What are we missing? Sort of the queen's loyal opposition thing. And then you flip it to the other side of the aisle. You've got, um, you know, you've got humanities, uh, you know, fields in on campus um, that are just absolutely filled. They have no conservatives in them. And so there's a lot of talk now about the fact that you're that you know social science is really just the less for it because we're not we're not having that opportunity to see into blind spots and to correct flawed reasoning that's all going in one direction. Yeah, and and if you to the to the extent that you're comfortable talking about this, can you talk about how this work has affected your own sort of ideologies and because I think sometimes when people hear about this, they think, well, that sounds nice in you know, theory, but in practice, it sounds like what you're asking me to do is set aside my beliefs so that we can get to some point where they're, like you say, kind of wishy-washy. Mm -hmm. um, have you found that in you know, 15 years of doing this, that you've totally abandoned your beliefs? I mean, what, what has it done for you as you think about your own commitments? So I think that's a great question because it's something that I want to convince other people is it just like a wonderful thing. Um, and, and, and so no, my politics are pretty much similar to when I entered um, into this. My, um, my sort of guiding principles are pretty similar. Uh, my politics are kind of center left. Um, but I see things in so much more relief in, in the most profound ways. Um, I understand what, what people who disagree with me are talking about. I get their point, 
their point enriches the way that I see it. I, I, I can't even sit in a room full of people, and I used to, right? Because I, I used to, you know, do a little political stuff, and I, 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 like maybe five or six years in, I got invited to something, and I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to go, and I couldn't even be in the room because the reasoning is so flat. And so, I mean, we're talking about solving really challenging problems in the world, and you just go, yeah, no, that's not going to work because da-da-da-da-da. So it, it had too, they, it's too narrow a view. My view is like in technicolor now. And, and actually, the other thing is there are a few things that I completely, like 18,000% agree with conservatives on that I maybe wouldn't have known it before, mm -hmm. or maybe my view has evolved a little bit. And you, some of my closest friends um, uh, are, are people who are politically really different than me. And I would not trade it for the world. It's, it's so much more wonderful um, than back when I was in the echo chamber. One way to think about holiday meals and the potential for conversations with people with whom you disagree is as good practice. Good practice and also something that if we do it enough, will actually make our world more interesting and our ideas better. So as Liz put it, you know, thinking about the world in technicolor versus just sort of a flat black and white, we don't have to change our opinions. We don't have to persuade other people. We just have to refine our ideas, listen to understand. And if we do this enough, not only will it help us, not just at the holiday dinner table, but in our communities, but we'll also get to the point where we seek out opportunities to hear from and talk to people who are not just like us, who aren't in the echo chamber. And we won't want to go back to that. We will want to seek out disagreement that makes our ideas and our communities better. Another person who's thought a great deal about this that we talked to this year is Samar Ali. She's a professor at Vanderbilt University, and she is someone who has traveled all over the world has experience with conflict and how it can affect communities. And she started Millions of Conversations, an organization that helps people have conversations across difference. She's also the co-chair of the Vanderbilt Project on Unity and American Democracy. And we talked to Summer about what unity is and what it isn't and what we should be thinking about, what we should be trying to achieve with our fellow citizens. And here's Sommer's point of view on difference and disagreement. I don't know any society where there's not difference. And I've traveled to over 60 countries. Yeah. I've traveled and worked in over 60 countries. And there's not one country that I've been in where everybody is on the same page. Um, so I think this, I, I always find it fascinating that people think that unity means we're all on the same page. Yeah. Um, I think that what it actually means is that we have a common purpose that we're working towards and that that we need, a, we, we, have, we have at least... Um, two or three things that we can agree on that betters society that we will work on together, recognizing that we're not going to agree on everything. And even our approaches to our approaches to these solutions can be different, but not so different that we want to burn it all down. Yes. Not so different that we don't want it to work for anybody. What we actually want 
is, and also getting back to what is government's purpose? What is the purpose of government? What is the role of government in our lives? We all drive on roads. How did the interstate system come about? Well, it came about, we didn't always have the interstate. The interstate was actually realized through compromise. The actual um, building out of the interstate system in the Eisenhower administration came through compromise that was realized by both sides of the aisle. They didn't agree on everything. Not only does disagreement, respectful disagreement, listening to one another, understanding one another, help us improve the landscape, help us improve our communities, and make the world more interesting. As Summer points out here, when we can come to a point where we can compromise, not change our views, but find compromise, great things, big things can happen. That's another thing that might come out of a discussion over the dinner table with people who disagree. Now, it's worth noting that not only has Summer gone all over the world, been to all kinds of countries, and seen how people relate to one another, but she also has been at home in the United States, the subject of a misinformation campaign and attacks because of her Muslim heritage. Her view has been that she needs to better understand people around her. She's doubled down on her faith in what it means to live well with your neighbors and to promote and support American value. And in this next clip, she's going to give you one possibility for a question you might raise at the dinner table over the holidays. Here's Samara again. There is a fundamental feeling um, for different reasons across America right now that systems are not working the way that they should, that there is not, that people do not feel that um, there's justice, that there is equality, um, that there is a, there, there's functionality, there's mutual respect, that there's reciprocity, um, that there's a sense of belonging, that there's this, there's this, so many people in this country, in the country right now, when I listen, um, I hear from, for different reasons, feel that they don't belong. And so I think that what we need to have is we need to build consensus around what does it mean to belong in America today? What is the shared American identity? What does that mean? Um, And what does it mean to be an American? And what are, what, are, what, are, what are a few of our shared values? We might have, on, on some things, we might have different values, but I do think we have two or three common values, at least, that we share. Um, and when I speak to people, I hear them talk about one of the values that they feel that Americans share is hard work, for example. Another is respect for the Constitution. Um, and they consider that to be, and people consider that to be a value. Uh, you know, I, I would say free speech, um, the ability to speak freely, to have opinions, to have voice, to, to voice those opinions, um, and 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 to want to build community around them, yeah. and to have the, um, uh, the the flexibility and the ability to do that without that being criminalized. And there are many parts of the world of where the, that kind of um, community building activity around free speech is criminalized. Yeah. Um, we're seeing that in Hong Kong right now. That's why some people are leaving Hong Kong. And, and so I think that, and, and I myself having worked for um, a law firm of where I, um, for, for a period of time, American law firm, um, for a period of time, I was in a country that did not, um, that was not in it, did not respect democratic principles. It was not governed by democratic principles rather. 
And, and I found that actually the Americans who were expats in that country struggled the most. Um, and in part, it is because it is ingrained in our being of being of 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 um, wanting to live in an environment and in a place that respects freedom of speech. So looking for shared values, agreeing on shared values, thinking about what it means to belong in America today, that might give you an opportunity as a group to talk about things that you share, that you agree upon. And finally, from Samar, if you're worried that your family has too much difference or that it's not feasible with all the different points of view to find a way to come to those shared values and to compromise, Samar is going to tell you a little bit about her own background and give you a little bit of a pep talk here when it comes to working across difference. I grew up in a small town um, and I, I grew up as a Muslim girl uh, who's a Palestinian American, a Palestinian Syrian American. My father's Palestinian, my mother's Syrian. Um, and um, my sister's Catholic, my oldest sister's Catholic. And, and I, there's a family of five of us. Um, and my whole thing is like, I just sort of um, growing up in that small town, I, I just, that's, that's normal to me. Um, what I'm doing is normal. Um, it's not abnormal. Uh, and, and so, um, and it's a choice too that you make. Um, you can choose to hate and you can choose not to. Um, you can choose to engage, you can choose to humanize. And, and if somebody's dehumanizing me, I'm not going to dehumanize them back. And I'm going to, you know, I, I, I have a, a principles and values in a constitution that I live by. Um, and that includes um, humanizing people. And so that's not, I'm not saying I'm better than somebody because I don't demonize. I'm just simply saying that's how I have chosen to exist. Um, and I believe in that. And, and I believe in humanity too. And I believe that the majority of people choose that way. And, and so I oftentimes tell people, like people ask me how I'm so optimistic or et cetera, why I think this will work. And I said, you know, if you don't believe in humanity, then you probably, you shouldn't listen to what I have to say. <laughs> You're wasting your time. I'll just be upfront about that. Yeah. You do believe in humanity. Um, and you do believe in the good of humanity and the power of humans to, 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 to do good things together. Then this is, this is the formula for you. Um, and you can do this. So far this year, our most downloaded episode is a conversation that I had with Professor Eric Smith of York College of Pennsylvania. Eric is an associate professor of rhetoric, and he's also the co-founder and co-editor of Free Black Thought. In our conversation, we talked about the difficulty of discussing race. But as you're thinking about holiday meals and conversations with people you love about difficult subjects, whether it's race or immigration or tax or anything else, you might wonder why is it so difficult to have these conversations? Well, Eric is somebody who thinks about communication for a living. That's what he does as an academic is to write about and research the way we communicate with one another. And in this next clip, you're going to hear Eric talk about why discussing difficult subjects, things that are contentious, is so hard for us and what it does to us physically and emotionally. When we enter into conversations, especially ones uh about contentious topics like say race, racism and things like that, um, we come with baggage, mental and emotional baggage. 
And that baggage is so prominent that it kind of gets in the way of seeing one another. You know, it's, it's like the suitcases are stacked up and, and we can't see the other person for who that person is, right? So yeah. when we enter into a conversation, especially when we know the conversation is going to be contentious, especially when we know the topic and things like that, we show up with armor on. We show yeah. up and, and our goal is not to come to an understanding, it's to protect our egos. We may not even realize that, you know, because yeah. we don't have that uh, secure base that I will probably end up talking about a little bit later on. Um, and if we are primarily protecting ourselves, we're not thinking about the other person as much as we should be. We're not listening as much as we uh, should be. The primary goal is to reemerge unscathed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked to um, Tanya Israel, who is a professor of psychology at UC Santa Barbara, who's got a book on, you know, practical like tips in dialogue. And one of the things she talks about is the importance of thinking about what you want to achieve in a conversation and also having some humility about what you can achieve, right? If we're just trying to convince someone of our point of view, that's one thing. Um, And again, we should be especially humble about that. But if we're trying to win, uh, or as you say, just come away unscathed and get our point of view without listening, without understanding, we come at that a very different way than if we're actually trying to hear one another and understand one another. And then when we're on the subject of race, I suspect, as you say, we come with so much baggage, like it just already at the start of a conversation about that, the, the landscape is really dangerous, I would think, for most people. Yeah, and, and it is. And I mean, when it comes to race, I mean, we, we have that, that idea that we're protecting ourselves and, and we're not on the offensive. We're defending ourselves, you know, and, and we feel righteous in doing that. We feel like it's, uh, and this is not being overdramatic, uh, a life or death situation. Right. I was listening to um, a past podcast of yours in which the professor, I believe he was a philosophy professor, uh, discussed the fact that the same part of the brain lights up when you're losing an argument as it does when you're being chased by a bear. In this next clip, you're going to hear Eric talk about the fact that there are different kinds of conversations. Some conversations we have because we want to find common ground. We talked a little bit about that earlier. Other times, we're having a conversation because we want to solve a problem. As you approach holiday meals with your family and friends, it's worth thinking intentionally before the conversation. What is it you want to accomplish? Is it understanding? Is it having a good time? Is there a problem you're trying to solve? That might make a difference to how the conversation goes. And if you're like most people, you've got one person in the family who always says something that you really dislike or that you really disagree with. Because you know that person's point of view on one thing, do you know everything else about that person? Can you be sure you know what that person thinks on every other subject? Here, Eric's also going to warn us about flattening out people's personalities because we have one fact about that person. We may not, just because we know this one thing, know everything else there is to know. And we ought to be thoughtful about that as well. I think the difference um, is whether the conversation is focused on identification, and I'll explain that in a second, or telos, like the, the end goal yeah. of something. So 
identification, I'm getting that from Kenneth Burke's work on uh, the rhetoric mm -hmm. motives. Uh, and he basically says, when we're talking to people, we're not so much trying to persuade as we're trying to identify with, or see, or help them identify with us. So mm -hmm. we use, uh, you know, um, certain rhetorical tactics from a particular discourse. We use uh, certain words that they already are familiar with, uh, certain ideas and metaphors uh, that they recognize, things like that. Um, and that's what we try to do there, identify with the other person. So that's not really about winning or coming to a particular conclusion. It's about finding common ground. Mm -hmm. And then you have the teleological conversation, which is there's a problem out there that we need to solve and we need to collaborate in order to solve it, right? And that's a, that's a different kind of conversation, right? Because it, it's, it's bigger than the two of you or mm -hmm. the you or whatever. Uh, it's about mm -hmm. this particular situation. The teleological conversation um, is how I shape my pedagogy, actually, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, when I'm doing what's called problem-based learning, you know, it's all about the problem that needs to be solved, which um, as several um, scholars, teachers have already recognized is great for multiculturalism and uh, a democratic mindset because you transcend those things and you're working together as people, people who want mm -hmm. to find a solution to this very real problem. So, you know, um, there are two kinds of conversations, I guess I'm saying, the uh, identification conversation and the telos-centered, teleological mm -hmm. conversation. So in, in the first part you talked about, the identification, I think it's really important too to distinguish that from uh, identification in order to understand someone, as you say, or to, you know, sympathize with someone versus identifying someone so you can peg them, right? Because one of the things I think we're really good at doing on all sorts of subjects, but I think it's true on race too, is to say, because I know something about you, a fact about you, I therefore can flatten you out and say, I know all the things about you, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, that's true when we talk about political dialogue, but I know certainly it's true when we talk about race, right? Because, because I'm white and you're black, we know something about each other and therefore we know a whole bunch of other things about each other. That's sometimes how we think about conversation. Yeah. Um, and it's not that kind of identification. No, it's not. In fact, that, that kind of identification, I wouldn't even call identification. It's, uh, it's the erasure of it, identity. Yeah. Um, and that's why you see so often um, the term person replaced by body or people by bodies, right? Um, especially when it comes to uh, contemporary anti-racism and the oppressed oppressor power dynamic. Um, it's yeah. easy to peg somebody if they're just a body. Right. They're a person, they're coming with experiences uh, you know, idiosyncratic personalities, nuance, right? It's, and you can't very well uh, read the mind of somebody who's a person, right? But if that's a body and that body's already coded as oppressor or oppressed, then you can manipulate things. I'm just imagining some of you in the audience right now thinking, you know what? I just want to have a good time with my family. I can't remember all these tips and I can't like, why do I need an expert to tell me how to have better holiday conversations? That's totally fair. And if that's where you are right now, Eric is about to point out to you 
that just having a conversation is sometimes the most important thing we can do. So if you're not worried about conflict, if you're not anxious about conversation, that's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't forget just how important and beneficial it is to sit down and talk with other people. Here's Eric again. We have trouble as a society um, approaching a topic or a conversation with uh, what Otto Scharmer calls an open heart, mind, and will. He wrote this huge book called Presencing. And it really is all about, you know, showing up. You, you, we can't not show up with ideas, you know, uh, pre-established ideas. Right. We can't do that. What we can do is be willing to relinquish them um, if necessary. If we find things that um, prove us wrong, we have to be open to that. And we have to be okay with, for a lack of a better term, losing. Not every conversation is so dire that it's not life and death, literally, right? So I go into a lot of conversations with no desire to win or lose. I just want to have the conversation. The conversation in itself is important because I may hear things I didn't realize. You may hear things you didn't realize. And minds may not be changed by the end, but I'm better for it. And hopefully so are you. Um, that, so that, that's how I go into things. What's more, you know, um, when I'm talking to somebody, the last person I want to convince is the person I'm talking to. Sometimes it's about the uh, spectators, you know, the eavesdroppers. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, the yeah. people who aren't quite sure what's going on so they can hear uh, various viewpoints on this and, and make their own decisions. The conversation in itself is important. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. They think the winning or losing is everything. Um, they don't yeah. understand how beneficial talking is. In the show notes for this episode, we will link to the full episodes with Liz Joyner, Samar Ali, and Eric Smith. If you haven't already listened to those episodes, I do hope that you will because there's an awful lot more than what we played for you today. I hope that the clips we did play for you today are things that will help you as you think about the kind of conversations that you're going to have and the conversations that you want to have over the holidays. Our goal here at Civil Squared is always to equip you with the tools and the content to have more productive conversations with your family, with your friends, and with your colleagues as you think about how you can make your own community better. And as we come to the end of the year and we start the holiday season, I feel grateful for the opportunity to have conversations with people like Liz and Sommer and Eric and all the guests we've had on this year. In each conversation, I learned something and I am inspired by their passion for making the world a better place as well. And I would be remiss if I did not say on behalf of myself and my colleagues at Civil Squared, how grateful we are for you, our listeners, and the fact that you come back and listen every episode. And if you're thinking about a gift for me and my colleagues, one thing we would love is if you would take a moment to rate and review the podcast. So next year at this time, we'll have even more people engaged in the conversation. Thanks for listening and happy holidays. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.